um, if you were here last week, then you might remember, I know a week has gone by, that we are going to be looking at Jesus' last week, which is a fairly normal thing to do during Lent. But um, we just decided, or I decided, that we would talk about his walk to Jerusalem. Because he starts off on this walk, on his way to die, in 951, chapter 951. Uh, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then he, he tells all these stories, does all these things, teaches along the way until he gets to Jerusalem for his last week of his life. That happens in 19, verse 28. So these 10 chapters are Jesus walking, ministering, and teaching. So we're thinking a little bit about walking, ministering, teaching. And uh, Julie is running in the St. Patrick's Day race later today, just a 5K. And I was thinking about my running days. I go in these phases, you know, and uh, one of them was a running phase. And uh, I was training for my first marathon. Uh, I was in this little uh, track. Actually, it was 16 times around was one mile. So it was a tight, tight circle, sort of get dizzy almost. I have to change directions or else you get all messed up on one side. My kids would be playing uh, basketball and I'd be listening to Tim Keller sermons and trying not to steal them or plagiarize them. And so, so I finally came to this race, and it was in Dallas in uh, November. And this was my first big event thing race, and I didn't really know what to have. I didn't have all the gear yet. I just had shoes. And uh, I get down there, and it's 75 degrees, which is really too hot. And people are worried. Overnight, the temperature plummets. And when the race starts at you know, 6.30 in the morning, it was 33 degrees and raining the worst possible, in my opinion. I would much rather have snow. than It was like it was yesterday, almost. It was, it was so bad. And so I don't know what to do. I just put on my sweatshirt sweat and sweatpants, and I start running. And once you, once you get hot enough, you take them off and just leave them. They're gone, which was no big deal. So I'm going along, uh, making it um, about 22 miles in. At four miles left, I was done. I'd never gone that far. This was the farthest I'd ever trained and gone. And it was freezing cold, and I was ready to quit. And I came up upon these two women that were running really slow, and I was running slower than they were for sure. It's not to the fast. It's to the persistent. And I said, hey, I'm not going to make it. Can I walk with you? And they said, the end is near. We are almost there. It's like, really? I think we're an hour away at this pace, but still, okay, yeah, yeah proportionally, we are pretty close. And they just kept on encouraging me. And and I would not have made it without them, without walking together to the end. Now, when the end did come, because we had slowed down so much, my body heat was gone, and I collapsed on the ground. My calves seized up, and I had one of those, you know, silver mylar jackets on, lying on the ground, cursing the Lord. Not really. Uh, I, was, I was not doing good. The end was near, and I almost quit. Sometimes you don't want the thing you're doing to end. 
the opposite of my story, right? You don't want your vacation to end. You're like two days away from going home or you don't want your car to end. Uh, or, or the relationship. Sometimes the end is great news, right? Okay, this pregnancy is almost over. Hallelujah. This engagement is almost over because we're going to get married tomorrow. This jail term or probation, this rehab, these braces are almost over. This mortgage is almost fully paid. That would be great news to hear. Sometimes the end is near, but you don't even know it is. Example, I told you last week in our share time that my daughter Ruth was born three months early. I didn't know that was about to be done. We still thought we had three months, and so we were making up crazy names still. I, wasn't, I hadn't gotten serious into what is going to be the name of this child. I learned her name when my wife told me to put it on the birth certificate. It was not the time to argue. It's a beautiful name anyway, so uh, it's, her name's Ruth. I remember one time I took my car uh, into the, uh, I had this old Mercedes that had been kind of gotten down to me. Took it in to get the oil change. They had to wait a day because it was a special one. We drove to Tulsa about an hour and a half. On the way back, it ran out of oil. No more car. I didn't know the end was near for that. That was awful. Here we are at the end of Jesus' life. He knows his end is near. No one else has a clue. They are not paying attention. He's told them multiple times. He is about to go into Jerusalem. In the same chapter, he gets there. This is right at the end of his walk, right before he goes in. And if you look at chapter 18, there's so many things that happen. He tells this parable of the persistent widow He tells a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He encounters the rich young ruler. He foretells his death a third time, and he heals a beggar. And so then, we have these two things before he goes in. An event, a meeting, and a parable, the one that Ronnie read. So let's look at those two things with that sort of lead up. The day is here and the end is near. Those are my two points today. The day is here and the end is near. So if you look at chapter 19, it starts this way. He entered Jericho and was passing through. You remember Jericho. Uh, I don't know if kids are singing these songs anymore, but Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? Is that still in the world? Have we just totally forsaken all of those that we grew up on at least? But you remember Jericho, Joshua. It's the gateway into the promised land. God had, had, had promised His people this would be their territory. They had to go and take this one city. And remember, Joshua sent spies out before they circled it, sent these spies out, and they found a person that would help them. Do you remember who it was? Rahab. Rahab was a foreigner. She wasn't an Israelite, and she was a prostitute. And she hid them and diverted those who were looking for them. And the text says that she trusted Yahweh that day, and she and her household were saved. Amen. Amen. 
Jericho then fell in dramatic fashion, of course, in this miraculous victory. And Ruth had a totally different life ahead of her. She ended up getting married, and she got placed into the lineage of David. And that means she got placed into the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, plucked from out of this whole situation, rescued by God who delivered this city, and He delivered this woman. She's mentioned three times in the New Testament. One of them is in the lineage of Jesus in, in, in Matthew when it goes through the, the genealogy. Remember, there's four women in that. Rahab's the first one, and then Bathsheba, and then we got Tamar. You know, this street up here is Tamar. So I'm going to think of Tamar every week. Tamar is a crazy story. And then we have Mary, these four women that God brought into the family of God, through very unlikely methods and means. And Jesus is back in that spot. Oh, I forgot. The other two times. She's in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, and she gets mentioned one other time in James 2 where she's called Rahab the prostitute. Interesting in our like identity language conversations. Jesus is back in that same town, back in that same spot. And he finds someone equally as unlikely to be brought into the family of God. He finds a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Second nursery tune. Now, if you look back in chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's fairly famous. You might read it again for yourself. We might discuss this in our time in, in Sunday school after this. starts in chapter 9. He talks about how the, the Pharisee comes in self-righteousness and basically prays to himself. And the tax collector comes in humility and asks God to save him a sinner. And then it's interesting, right? Almost right after that, we get the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler isn't technically a Pharisee. But if you grew up in church, you may have this sort of negative stereotype of Pharisees for good reason. But remember, they were respected scholars. Uh, they were the holy people in a good way. Uh, they were very serious about the law of God. Uh, they were not looked down upon at all. So they were scholars. And they were relatively at least, wealthy. And, and the rich young ruler, he's asking these questions to find out if this is a legitimate Messiah. And he asks questions that are technical, known. What must you do to inherit eternal life? And then he says, I have followed the law every day of my life. That's what a Pharisee would say. Has he really followed the law of God every day of his life? Jesus invites him to walk with him, to give everything away and follow him. Give me Jesus. You can have everything in the world. Just give me Jesus. This man would not sing that song. He would not follow Jesus and he walks away sad. But just think, in just a few paragraphs later, remember there's no chapter divisions when this was written, 
Jesus comes up against a tax collector. It's almost like this parable is being lived out. Tax collectors are also rich. I don't know if he's young, but he's a rich ruler. While the Pharisees are super respected, the tax collectors are super despised. They are hated. Tax collectors were traitors after all. They were taking money from their own people, Jewish tax collectors, and giving them to the Romans. They were charging way higher rates so they could become rich themselves. They were despised, along with shepherds. Shepherds were lowlives, uh, too connected into, into animals, so like ragamuffins. Shepherds, lepers, nobody wanted to be around lepers. Prostitutes, tax collectors. And this tax collector heard Jesus was rolling through town. He wanted to see him. He shows up, he gets in this tree, this sycamore tree, and this is where, you know, in the Bruce Springsteen concerts, he always points to someone and pulls that person up for the, one of the songs. In the video, it's uh, Courtney Cox. I don't think that was random. And uh, so he points at this tax collector in the tree and says, you, and tax collector's got to be like, Me? He obviously didn't send a handler ahead to know who I am. You don't want to talk to me. And he says in 19.5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. There's inviting yourself over and then there's this. This is a whole other level of inviting yourself over, right? Yikes! Now, he probably had a big, huge house, but probably no one ever came over except his other tax collector friends. People did not like this guy. But the day is here, Zacchaeus. The day is here. I have come to your city. I have come to meet you. And I am coming to your house today. Amen. So the... The day is here for Zacchaeus, but the end is also here. Because Zacchaeus repents on the spot. You see that? So the end of Zacchaeus' greed is here. The end of Zacchaeus' backstabbing. He pays back four times what he's taken. The end of his hoarding. He probably made some friends that day. The end of his loneliness. And for sure, the end of his life outside of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. And one of the greatest verses in the New Testament, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is such good news. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the loss. This man, Zacchaeus, is a true son of Abraham. And I bet you Zacchaeus hadn't heard that in a long time. He had found himself outside of the kingdom of God. And when he encountered Jesus, he's brought back in. This man who is used to being spit on and and left out, now is brought in to fellowship, to a meal with Jesus because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, lost sheep, lost coins, 
lost sons, lost prostitutes, lost tax collectors. And that is such good news for shepherds, lepers, tax collectors, those who find themselves on the outside of the kingdom, prodigals, murderers, adulterers, liars, thieves, flunkies, fired, smokers, cursers, losers, sinners. That is good news for sinners, isn't it? It's bad news for people who think they don't need them. You can see the grumbling even in this passage. It's in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. As if there are not anyone. We're all sinners. But if you think you have perfectly obeyed the law, you don't like Jesus too much. It's good news for Rahab and Zacchaeus. Salvation for them and their house. Placed into the family the lineage of God. The day is here and the end is near. This gets us to the very last parable Jesus teaches right before He goes into Jerusalem. The ten minas, or minas, I don't know how you say it, Ronnie, either. So, People's expectations of Jesus are high. They are off the charts. They've been tracking you know, he's gotten a reputation already. And think about it, he just healed somebody else. He's healed a lot of people. You think about how he's fed thousands of people. That'll get people following you, hungry people. They've heard that he controls the weather. He walks on the water. He raises people from the dead. Maybe this is it. This is the guy, the Messiah we've been wanting. Our Savior is here. Now, let's be honest. We look for saviors too, right? Lamar Jackson. Mayor Carchetti. It's a Wire reference. Rewatching the Wire. And maybe you thought Trump was going to be the Savior. Or maybe you thought Biden was going to be the Savior. Or maybe you thought Fauci was going to be the Savior. I don't know. We all want a Savior. Uh, imagine if, if Maryland got taken over by Delaware. That seems hard to believe, I know. Okay, Virginia. More likely, right? Some people around here would be happy about it, I would think. I don't know. But a lot of people would be upset. And they would be like, I want to get back to the way it was. When you get occupied, we're watching this. Right now, Russia and Ukraine, you, you don't want to be occupied. And, and these people, the Jewish people, are under oppression. They are taken over by the Romans, and they want them out. They want a king, a leader. They want a revolution, and they want it now. And they think maybe Jesus of Nazareth, a very unlikely person, but look at all that he's done. Maybe he will be the one that saves us, restores us. And he says in this text, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. 
if the kingdom of God appeared immediately, what would that look like? Jesus tells them the way it's going to go down. He tells them this parable. There's a nobleman who goes away. He's not yet the king. He brings in ten of his servants. He gives them each a, a mina. A mina is three months' wages. So that's, you know, a lot. Three months all at once. He's, he doesn't give them any instructions. He just says, you know, do, do what I do. Engage in, in, in what we do. Carry on. So then two things happen. The first thing is a faction arises. See that? Uh, it's in... Uh, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. They don't want to have anything to do with him. He returns... The kingdom comes. He, he receives the kingship. And he calls into account. Right? We only get three of the ten. The first one turned one mina into ten. I'm thinking he invested in Bitcoin. Early on. The second one turned one mina into five. Maybe he invested in Amazon early on. I don't know. The, the third one put it in a handkerchief. You know, the king says, why didn't you just put it in the bank? I mean, you know, you could have given me 1.0001 mina. And that would have been better than putting it in a handkerchief. You did nothing. You didn't carry on my business. That's not what I would do. And then the man says, he has a, this reason. You're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. What's interesting about that is the king just gave a mina away and when the guy turned it into ten, he gave him ten cities. That seems wildly out of proportion, doesn't it? You, you made me 30 months salary and I'm giving you 10 cities now you know maybe these are terrible cities I don't know but that's a lot of responsibility and he took another one and he gave him five cities that seems wildly generous to me not severe at all he's not taking what he didn't he's giving what they didn't get he asked them to give their gifts and talents and resources. And he even gives the one to the guy who already had ten. Which is certainly not fair. You know, God's kingdom isn't fair. Fair is everybody gets the same thing. That's, that's not how God's kingdom works. He gives out graciously with blessings. Over and over again he talks about it's not fair. The king makes the rules. And so it behooves you to know the king. And what the king wants. So you can follow the king's wishes. And the king does not like non-participation. The handkerchief model. He does not like that. I almost wonder what would have happened if the one last one would have taken one mina and then tried and given him back a half a mina. 
which is what he didn't want to do, I think the king would say, hey, good try. At least you got yourself out there. I'll take that failure more than I'll take the handkerchief. Just a guess, I don't know. Okay, that's the parable. Now think about what's about to happen. We're getting into the last week of Jesus' life, right? There's a group of people that don't want this king. He's no king of ours. He cannot reign over us. We want to remove him and overthrow him. In the parable, no traction. In real life, within the week, they accomplish that very thing. They even say, we have no king but Caesar. They pledge their allegiance to Rome. That's the level of just blasphemy. Jesus in the in-between times then. We're in Lent getting ready for Easter. Another big one is Advent. Advent is where we talk about how Jesus came the first time for Christmas and he's coming again in his second coming. We don't know when that is going to be. And here we are in the in-between, which is what this parable is about. When he came and left, but he's coming back. So what are we going to do until he comes back? How do we get ready? And this parable tells us you do his stuff. You go about his business, right? It's like if Jesus was making pizzas, well, you're supposed to be making pizzas. It's a weird analogy, I know. If Jesus is an accountant, we do accounting. So, so what are his values? Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Give all you have to the poor and follow me. Invite me to your house, Zacchaeus, because I'm coming over. Hospitality. Your faith has made you well. Faith. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Just go and sin no more. Go be fishers of men. Repent and believe. Let your light shine before men so they may praise your God in heaven. Blessed are the poor and the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Love your enemies and your neighbors. Live generous lives. Do not be lustful or angry or hate. Give your life away. Take up your cross and follow me. Seek and save the lost. The values of the king. When I was in in RUF, in the University of Oklahoma, I used to pray that God would multiply our work. And so I prayed for more interns and campus ministers and pastors and, and deacons and elders, and, and God really blessed that. But I also prayed for moms and dads, teachers, professors, husbands and wives, accountants and lawyers and technicians and estheticians and musicians and clinicians, and chefs, and developers, and politicians, and artists, and brewers, and boaters, and designers, and plumbers, and I even prayed for millionaires. God, give us some millionaires! Normal stuff. 
not just churchy stuff. You think about Jesus' parables, I think there's only one about the church. The temple, where the Pharisee and the tax collector go. The rest of them, if, if you look at them, they're all about life, money, bread, children, death, work, animals, investments, widows, the rich and the poor, fig trees, barns, prayers, getting beaten up. Normal. Kingdom living. Like between Monday and Saturday stuff. Not just Sunday stuff. And so kingdom living helps us think about how we, how we talk and how we think, how we help others, what we need as we get help. It helps us to think about what happens in the far country or how to be persistent with, with grit and determination. How to feast well when we get invited in other words, the kingdom is all around us. The kingdom is all around us, and the king is coming back, and he is not a harsh master. We should not resent his rule. Now, he is just. Is just. So many times we think that the king isn't doing a good job. The good news today is that salvation comes to the house of Rahab and Zacchaeus and us. The king arrives. He seeks and saves the lost. We have a king who came and died for his people. That's how much he sacrifices for us. He's not just giving us chores. He is bringing us into this mysterious kingdom where we are participate, participants with him. I'm thinking about walking again or traveling. Um, Marco Polo, more than just an app on your phone, right? Uh, he went on this big, huge, famous walk. And, um, you know, he talked a lot about a lot of stuff. He describes a ton. He does not ever mention the Great Wall of China. Seems like he might have run across it. I don't know. You know what he does mention? That he has seen unicorns and griffins. There's an interesting book called How to Talk About Places You've Never Been. And this guy's theory is Marco Polo never went to China. He made it all up. He maybe ran into people who had been to China and he just grabbed their stories and he made this huge epic. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I'm worried about is we might talk about places we've never been. If you grow up in church, it's easy to do. You get all the vocabulary, you get all the lingo. You know all the stuff. You can answer all the questions. You can fill out the test. That's not the same as walking with Jesus. It's not the same as being in his house and in his family, right? We talked last week about talking about exercising is not exercising. Talking about loving Jesus is not the same as loving him. You think about the, the rich young ruler who walked away. Think about these people that were around him and they grumbled. They're missing out in life. 
in the kingdom. Think about if the rich hung ruler had walked with him that day, when he turned around and left, if he had gone with him, he would have seen the resurrected Jesus. Now he maybe wouldn't understand it. Totally different. But he would have seen and known the resurrected Jesus. And he invites us in that same thing. So, so don't quit walking. The end is near. The day is here. Don't quit walking. Or start walking. Salvation could be for you today as well. Amen.